Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. A comprehensive history of Seattle's hip-hop scene was recently published. It's called Emerald Street, A History of Hip-Hop in Seattle, written by Dr. Dowdy Abe, professor of humanities at Seattle Central College. The book's title is taken from the Emerald Street Boys, generally acknowledged as Seattle's first hip-hop group. Since then, the scene has produced such talents as Sir Mix-a-Lot and Macklemore, but also world champion b-boy crew Massive Monkeys. Abe talks about all of these and seminal artists from the city whose impact locally is just as important to our scene's growth. Here's my conversation with him. You know, a big question that comes up a lot in the book is around how Seattle hip hop for a long time, and you know, still doesn't necessarily enjoy a, a huge national following as a whole. Do you think it, there was a point in Seattle's hip hop history where it it deserved that following, or was it, it, it that that following should have been the natural, you know, result of what was going on? Uh, I think that this area deals with, and I know that I've read from you and even quoted, I think, the issue of of our self esteem and mm. how that can be notoriously low uh, at times. I feel like if we, if you, the more I've been thinking about it. If you look at this place, what other place outside of the main kind of New York, Atlanta, Chicago, Los Angeles, uh, the Bay Area, the the very well-established, not only hip-hop centers or or scenes that have come out of there to produce a lot of of material, but just what other area has done it like we've done it? And, and I'm and I'm and I'm saying that just in the sense of the you know if you if you want to call it an outsider city, it's one of the outsiders. I think maybe that was a term that used to get thrown around, maybe sure. like in the in the '90s or in the 2000s when people were just talking about you know geographic representation. I mean, the, the outside of the huge cities, there haven't been. I don't think there's there's been a city that has really had the breadth of right. hip hop kind of contributions. Even even going unnoticed, or a lot of times, uh, maybe not unnoticed, but not necessarily feeling like we're getting our just due. I think a lot of times when we talk about the perception of the hip hop scene here, kind of not having what it needs, not 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 being supported in different ways, it in a lot of ways has more to do with the settings and the environment here at home, mm-hmm. you know, and. Um, you know, it's hard to talk about hip hop and not talk about race. Yep. Do you think that the city's demographics, that is to say, a drastically smaller black and brown population than you found in the cities where you have these famous hip hop scenes, do you think that's a part of why, you know, aside from the handful of breakout acts that Seattle hip hop has, you know, historically struggled here and, and outside of here? That's actually a really good question because, you know, I I, I do feel like the uh, diverse nature of the scene here has has been one of the strengths 
Mm. It's been it's been the 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 variety of perspectives, and I and I think you know it it so it goes for me anyway. I would kind of take it back to the the discussion around kind of geographic isolation and how that has kind of traditionally given artists from here at least feeling more of a license that they don't have to try to um, do what everybody else is doing. Sure, uh, you know the uh, probably the early example of, of that. Of that would be mix a lot uh, and a song posse on Broadway. My posse's on Broadway. And to the point that you just made, you know, he goes out of his way in the beginning of that song to talk about Larry the white guy. Larry is the white guy. People think he's funny. A real estate investor who makes a lot of money. So he goes out of his way to talk about the multiracialness of his crew. Sure. Kind of very, very early on. And so you have that that part of it there, but then also, you know, obviously, you know, the the this is 1987. The song is released. Yeah. Kind of right at the tip as gangster rap is beginning to really explode. Yeah. Kind of become what it eventually does is it kind of becomes the mainstream of rap in a lot of ways. But so that's that's very that's there. But then in in the uh, in in Posse on Broadway, the little sequence up at Dicks. You know what I mean? Not only is Mixalot. Uh, preventing uh, a woman from being assaulted by her boyfriend, but he's diffusing the situation with Mace. She picked it up and kissed it. Her boyfriend's ill and he went to slap her face. My homeboy PLB cold sprayed the boy with Mace. You know what I mean? That's right. not exactly what NWA was talking about at that time. Nah, so, they're shooting everybody. First of all, they're, it, I mean, listen, the, the, the song Six in the Morning, Ice-T is talking about beating a woman down in the middle of the street. Yeah, I, I actually I played that song on Street Sounds uh, a couple of months ago when I was still yeah. doing it, and I was I had forgotten that yes. verse. I was just like, yes, Oy. yes, and, right. and and every you know what I'm saying whatever conflict NWA was in were being solved by shotguns and Uzis. Yes. So anyway, right. I'm just saying that this area that 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 a lot example is just. Uh, kind of speaks to the larger dynamic of this area of not feeling like, you know what I'm saying, we got to be like these people over here and these people over there. And I think that that is related, uh, at least in part, to the, uh, like I said earlier, the diverse nature and so many different perspectives. I mean, I don't think that, I don't think that this place has ever lost the sense or the, the understanding that hip hop is and is from the African-American experience. But in practice, it has always been uh, as diverse as the country itself. Um, mm. uh, and so I, I think that those two kind of things kind of intertwine together to speak to these these issues around race and, and the possibility of whether. And then, you know, there, there's there's always the issue of, of wh- around white MCs. Uh, the sure. white MC has, 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 you know, occupied kind of a complex space in the culture for a long time. You've exploited and stolen the music, the moment, the magic, the passion, the fashion you toy with. The culture was never yours to make better. Your in mind most cases, that white MC is a descendant of the power and privilege that, you know what I'm saying, sure. spurred the rise of, of hip-hop kind of pushing back against that in the first place. You bastard, all the money that you made off the water down. Pop bullshit version of the culture, pal. Go buy a big-ass lawn, go with your big-ass house, get a big-ass fence, keep people out. It's all stolen anyway. Can't you see that now? There are those tensions there I also think that, you know, like I said, everybody brings something different to the party. And the fact that this party here, 
you know, figuratively speaking, was attended by so many different people from so many different places with so many different backgrounds and points of view. I, I don't think that that could have done anything but strengthen the scene. And I think it did. And I think about that, the, the geographical isolation you're talking about, you know, we're not a half an hour from San Francisco or, no. or LA or, or, or New York. So we didn't have to kind of glom to a, a, a given paradigm and sound. We kind of had to figure it out. And I, I think were you the one, is it in the book where you, it's literally being broken down how far we are from, from these major cities? Yep. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, even though, what is it? It's like a 900 miles or so down to San Francisco and mm. like 15 or 1600 miles to, to Minneapolis. Um, right. But, and, and that but, said everything because that's stylistically so many, in so many ways at different times we've existed at the nexus of the sounds that came from these places. But it also but it also means that so there may not be huge cities in between. I mean, no disrespect to Portland, although anytime you say no disrespect, I guess there's about to be disrespect. But so (laughs) aside from Portland, there's not there aren't huge cities necessarily in between here and Minneapolis uh, or in between here and San Francisco. But there are towns, there are there are cities, there are places. And in each of those places, there are consumers of culture. And those people in those places look to Seattle as kind of the capital of this portion of the country, not only around sports teams and, and, and you know, mm-hmm. art and that kind of thing, but specific urban, you know what I'm saying, expressions and music and those kinds of things. So definitely Seattle being the capital of this area and people from all around kind of looking to us, you know, also puts us on a platform and gives us, uh, gives Seattle anyway, uh, kind of unique cachet uh, just over a geographic huge geographic portion of this country, which I think very few others in terms of just square mileage. I don't think uh, very few other urban places have because so many other places are close to other large urban centers. New York City right. is not far from Philadelphia and right. places like that. You know what I'm saying? And so right. so the, the the uniqueness of where we are situated and kind of the, the barren landscape, if you want to call it that, that kind of surrounds us also puts us in a unique position of influence. Interesting. And I, and I feel like in ways that mirrors a lot of cultural developments in the Northwest in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, the story of hip hop is the story of society. Hmm. And so you are going to see as, you know, you listen, you know, if you're if you're reading through the book and you're, you know, kind of doing a track list and you're, you know, things or artists that say you're going to you're going to hear stories, you know what I'm saying, of in the 80s, so, uh, Ice Cold Mo, Union Street Hustle. It must be a job, I'm a homeboy, shot back the police, west of the street, start a union, the game's called hustling. Union Street Hustling, here we go, here we go. What was going on with the crack epidemic there? You're going to hear, you know, later on, someone like uh, Dre's, you know, talking about how the hood ain't the same. He's talking right. about gentrification, irony on 23rd. They say that. 23rd is booming, man, 23rd is ruined, 23rd some in my palm and it's so confusing. Most definitely you're going to hear the story, not only of hip hop, but you're going to hear the story of Seattle. Right. I'm talking with Dr. Dadi Abe about his new book, Emerald Street, A History of Hip Hop in Seattle. 
you are an academic, so you're pretty familiar with thesis statements. Yes, sir. Now that you've written a book on the history of Seattle hip hop, how would you summarize the scene and its history uh, uh, in a thesis statement? <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, let me see here. When the shoe is on the other foot. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's very good. Uh, let's see here. I would probably say that uh, uh, the legacy of, of hip hop in Seattle and Seattle hip hop is a legacy of the unexpected. Um, and so by that, I'm, I'm meaning people like, you know, I explained the, the, the mix lot, you know, kind of the difference in mix lot and the fact that, you know, you have these, uh, you know, example, like two crews coming together on Beacon Hill to form massive monkeys. And not only that, but the kind of the, what's the right word I'm looking for? Not the Godfather necessarily, but the, well, maybe like a Godfather, someone like Fever, you know I mean, who's, who's oh, yeah. who I, I went to middle school with goes and joins the Rocksteady crew. You know what I'm saying? That that is ill, man. I mean, I, if people are unaware of Rocksteady, it's like, you know, the hip hop equivalent of the Alvin Ailey dance company or, you know what I'm saying, whatever high profile or the highest level is. Um, and him not being satisfied with that and coming back and leveraging that into mentoring young people that, that eventually led to Jefferson Community Center becoming the mecca of breaking in Seattle. And, and so, you know, and, and then someone like, uh, you know, Diggable Planets, who, you know, during the time, it wasn't necessarily completely advertised that, that, uh, that, that Butterfly was from here, but he was, he was clearly kind of the leader of that group. And, and, and the way that they, you know, talked about socialism and Marx and right. categorize themselves as insects. And, you know what I'm saying? Nobody was doing that in the 90s. That was mm. not kind of a popular strain of rap that people were on at the time. For sure. Um, and then, and then you know, just to the to the more recent Grammy winner, someone like Macklemore, who, you know, the two songs that made him most popular, uh, you know, were Thrift Shop and, and, and Same Love. And those two things go directly against two of the most prominent features of mainstream hip hop in bling and homophobia. So just the idea that you can come out of here doing something completely different and, and be recognized and be celebrated in ways that may not necessarily be possible in other parts of the country, I think is the is, is what I'm saying by, by us in this area, this region supplying uh, the unexpected. Right on, I love that. Legacy the unexpected. For sure. I've been speaking with Dr. Dowdy Abe about his new book, Emerald Street, A History of Hip Hop in Seattle. Dowdy, thank you for your time today. Always great to talk to you. My pleasure, Larry. We beat to rap what key beat to lock, but I'm cool like that. 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 I'm cool. That was Sound and Vision. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you have the means, please consider giving a one-time $20 donation to support this podcast at kxp.org backslash sound. Thanks for listening. We out. We out. We out.